This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, I try to keep all of the emails and letters you folks send to me because your input's a great resource for me. Well, I don't know where I went wrong in filing, but somebody out there asked me if I would air some Mr. and Mrs. North shows. So, whoever it was, thank you. <laughs> now, Mr. and Mrs. North was a radio mystery series that aired on NBC and CBS from 1942 to 1954. Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin had the title roles when the series began in 42. The characters, publisher Jerry North and his wife Pam, lived in Greenwich Village at 24 St. Anne's Flat. They were not professional detectives, but simply an ordinary couple who stumbled across a murder or two every week for 12 years. The radio program eventually, though, reached nearly 20 million listeners. In 1946, Mr. and Mrs. North received the first Best Radio Drama Edgar Award from the Mystery Writers of America in a tie with CBS's The Adventures of Ellery Queen. So let's give a listen to the episode Murder by the Book, which first hit the airwaves on March 3rd of 1943. of Mr. and Mrs. North, starring Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin, and brought to you by Woodbury Cold Cream, the beauty cream for the skin you love to touch. Make a perfect rope girdle. 
The whole effect is Hand me up, please. I want to finish this book. I'm on the last page, almost. Oh, that's the best of all, Jerry. I couldn't stop till I'd finished. Then would you let me... Uh, oh, of course, dear. I didn't mean to interrupt. I think I'd like patience. It's so dignified. And if you're a Greek, you have a word for everything. It was the Greeks who had a word for it, wasn't it, Jerry? Sam, honey, please. Oh, Jerry, just answer one question. All right. What is it? Would you love me if I were cold and austere like a Greek maiden? <laughs> Sam, honey, I'd love you anyway. Even dressed in those curtains like a Greek maiden. Jerry, you're so nice. All right, darling. Now, just let me finish this page. Isn't it an exciting book? I'll say it is. You know, it's beyond me how a girl as cultured as Martha Gilroy ever dreamed up murders like this. And it's so well written. Jerry, it'll be a bestseller. You bet. I'm going to get this into print as fast as the type can be set. It's a gold mine. Isn't that just the way, Jerry? A girl like Martha writing a book that'll make money, and, and she's got so much already, she doesn't know what to do with it. Well, she hasn't got the money, Pam. It's old Uncle Gordon. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I wish we could meet him. I'd just like to tell Beatrice Van Stickle that I was hobnobbing with Gordon Gilroy, the millionaire banker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's seen. Well, you won't meet him on this trip. Martha said he had to go to Chicago on business. Jerry, you think maybe we could wrangle another invitation? Mm. You know there are real silk sheets on the bed. No. Mm-hmm. Well, come on, let's go downstairs and find Martha. She's probably anxious to hear our verdict on the book. Oh, I told her already. When I finished reading it this afternoon. Why, you precocious little brat. Oh, Jerry. Well, come along. Let's <laughs> go and tell her that I like it, too. I'm uh, thinking this is the library door, Mr. Nard. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Nard. Sure, you need a map to navigate around this house. <laughs> yes, you certainly do. Uh-huh. It's the library. Come on, Jerry. Martha said that she... Oh. Well? Excuse us, please. We didn't know that... One minute, young lady. Who are you? Uh, good evening, sir. You're Mr. Gilroy, aren't you? Yes, I am. Much more to the point, who are you? I'm Gerald North. This is my wife, Pamela. Uh, how do you do? May I ask what you're doing in my house? Why, we were invited by your niece, Martha. We understood you were in Chicago. This is a pleasant surprise. Uh, we have the big front bedroom and, and the lovely sitting room with the white satin curtains. Oh, a party, huh? The minute my back's turned. Well, we're not exactly party guests, Mr. Gilroy. We came on business. Business? What business? Your niece has written a book I'm interested in publishing. Well, you're the publisher, huh? uh, You may have read I it. I have not. Very good. For your information. I disapprove of Martha's so-called literary efforts. She writes very well, Mr. Gilroy. And you've read the book? Oh, yes. North, that book is not for publication. But, Mr. Gilroy... When I give an order, it's to be obeyed. It seems to me, Mr. Gilroy, the business is between me and your niece. She wrote the book. I'm going to publish it. And I say that you're not. Mr. Gilroy, nobody tells me what I can and can't do. Why, you insolent book peddler, you... Jerry, we'd better go. Yes, I think we'd better. Wait a minute. I said that book was not to be published. I beg your pardon, sir, but I say it is going to be published. Good night. Come back here. Jerry! What's the punishment? Now give it to him. Oh. You'd better give it to him, Jerry. It's a little difficult to argue against the gun. Hand it over. All right. Here you are, sir. No, no, no. 
Uh, say, Mr. North. Yes, ma'am. Did you use a knife under the seat? A knife? A knife. There wasn't any knife, Sergeant. Oh, my goodness. I'm glad to hear you say that. Of course, he was stabbed to death. Well, uh, just a minute. I'm I'm going, Mullins, now, and your men can take pictures. Oh, thanks, Doc. And if your tenant wagon wants me when he gets here, I'll be at the laboratory. So long, Sergeant. Uh, so long, Doctor. Jerry, it must have happened while you were out calling the police, and I was getting the first aid kit from upstairs. Yes. How long was you out of the room? Oh, not more than three or four minutes. Did you see anybody drifting around the halls about then? No, the phone's in the alcove in the hall. I could see the library door all the while. Nobody went in or out. Jerry, the murderer must have come in those French doors. Say, yeah, that's about the size of it. He could have come right in here and gone out again, and nobody's been the wiser. Where does that door lead to, Mullen? There's a terrace out here that runs the length of the house. The murderer must have been waiting out there while we were in here with Mr. Gilroy. Well, that could be. Cold as an Eskimo's nose outside. Well, we've got a job in our hands. We've got to find that knife. May I come in? Oh, hold on now. Wait a minute. I told you to stay in the other room. Well, I, I can't stay there with a servant. I, I'm so nervous I can't hit you. Mother, did your uncle have any enemies who want him out of the way? What do you mean? That shot didn't kill your uncle, Martha. He was stabbed in the back. Oh. oh have you any idea who could have done it? No. I'm afraid he had a good many enemies. He was pretty ruthless in business. Yes, I can imagine that. Well, whoever did it knew something about the house. It was an inside job. I suppose you're right. Of course I'm right. Only somebody knowing the terrace and... Say, wait a minute. Why did you say that? Well, it was just that nobody knew Uncle Gordon was here. He was supposed to be in Chicago. Whoever did it must have known he was in the house. All right, who was in the house? Well, the servant. And anybody else? There's my aunt, Mrs. Gilman. Where is she? I don't know. She she was upstairs earlier in the evening. You never mentioned your aunt to us, Martha. We seldom mention her to anyone, Sam. She walked out on Uncle Gordon about a year ago. This afternoon, she suddenly appeared and and said she wanted to talk to him and was going to wait until he came back. Uh, I guess we'll have to look up this lady. Anybody else? No. Oh, oh wait. Uh, Norman Cross. Who's he? Uncle Gordon's private secretary. He, he must have come back with Uncle Gordon. He was the first to go to Chicago. Did you see him? No, I, I didn't even know Uncle Gordon was back until after the shooting. Well, there's another guy to round up. Where does he live? There's a room on the ground floor of the servant's wing. And I... Well, there's something you'll find out about him sooner or later. He, he embezzled $10,000 from Uncle Gordon. $10,000? Why didn't Gilroy turn him over to the police? He was going to, but he, he couldn't afford to until after the Chicago trip because, oh, of course he had compiled some lists or, or papers. Well, or there's your motive. I'm going out and find this. Oh, Lou, I'm glad you got here. Hello, Sergeant. Hi, Pam. Sure. Oh, Hello, Bill, I'm Bill. so glad you got here. Well, what's the case, Mullen? Over here, Lou, there's a body. It's Mr. Gordon Gilroy, the banker. That guy who owns his house. Yes, Pam. This would be a wonderful time to look for that knife. All the servants are in the next room. 
We could go through that thing. Oh, Pam, we can't take any chances. I'm serious. We mix up in this business, and... But Jerry, we must find that knife. There, there may be fingerprints. That's Bill Wigan's job. Now, now, darling, don't say another word. We're going to the servant's room. <laughs> in the living room. But we can't just open doors. Here, and... I will. <laughs> oh, the light's on. Come in, Joey, quick. wonder whose room this is. It's a man's. Oh, there's a briefcase on the bed. Now, don't open it, Ben. Oh, I'm not going to, Jerry. I just want to see these initials. N.C. N.C. What? Norman Crosby. Right, the secretary. This is his room. Now, let's see. Let's see what? If you were a murderer, Jerry... Where would you put your knife? Right next to my fork. Now, Pam, we haven't any right to go through a man. There's a window seat. That'd be a dandy place. Jerry, you go through the things in that dresser, and be sure to look between the shirts. That's where I always hide things at home. All right. The funny part is, we'll probably find that darn knife. Jerry! Jerry, come here. What? Look. This window leads right out to the terrace. You can see the French doors of the library from here. Well, what about it? Don't you see, dear? Crosby could have climbed out this window, sneaked along the terrace, and gone through those doors into the library. Yes, I suppose he could. And after after he'd done it, he came back here... <laughs> You're and... certainly putting together a wonderful case. But, Jerry, don't you see? Everything fits. Crosby knew that Mr. Gilroy was in the library, and goodness knows he had good reason to want to get rid of him. Jerry, you're not paying a bit of attention. Look, Sam. What? On the floor. There by the dresser. Jerry, is it really blood? Yes, I think so. Trails over to this door. Jerry, don't. Don't open that door. I'm afraid I must. Look the other way, dear. All right, Jerry. Go ahead. Good Lord. Is it Mr. Cross? Yes, He's been stabbed, too. didn't hear the shot or any commotion here in the library, Mr. I didn't hear a thing, I tell you. Bill, could we see you a moment? Uh, in a second, Jerry. Uh, come in and sit down. Come on in, Sam. Now, Mrs. Gilroy, you've been separated from your husband for over a year, as you say. What are you doing here in this house? A little matter of money. Had it been supporting you? <laughs> it wasn't support, just a slight prop. And last month, it fell down. And that's what I came to see him about. Did you know he was going to Chicago? Not till I got here. Arthur told me when I arrived. Arthur? He's the butler. Oh. Oh, yeah. So he went up to your old room to wait until Gilroy came back. That's right, Detective. You pardon my saying so, but you're a strange woman to be married to a banker like Mr. Gilroy. You mean he was a strange man to be married to a girl like me. And you're right. He took me out of the Follies 11 years ago. But let me tell you, brother, the dough he spent on me didn't come anywhere near paying for what I had to put up with. What do you mean? The conceited, double-dealing old hypocrite. I... I don't like to say things about the dead. 
But if there ever was a guy that deserved a bullet, it was Gordon Gilroy. Oh, you gave him one, is that it? <laughs> I'm not that crazy. He was my meal ticket. All right, Mr. Gilroy. Excuse me a minute. Mm-hmm. My time is your time. You want to see me, Jerry? Sam and I just found Crosby. He's dead. Good night. I had him pegged for the guilty party. That's what I told Jerry. He could have sneaked out the window. Come here, Bill. I'll show you from the French door. But Pam, that whole theory's out now. He's dead. Well, but that doesn't make any difference. He could have done it, and then somebody could have murdered him. Now, uh, look out this door to the left, Bill. Yes? Uh, see that room where the light... Look! Somebody's climbing out a window. Stop! The name of the law! He's starting to run. Stop, don't shoot! Come on, Jerry. Pam, stay here. That's how they start shooting back. No. No, his hands are up. Bill's got him. Hurry, Jerry. We'll miss right, everything. Man. Put your hands now. Come down. I got nothing to do with anything that's going on in this house. Would you, Bill? Stupid racketeer known as Red Barton. What are you doing here, Red? Nothing. Honest, I didn't take nothing. Oh, Red. Red, you hurt. No, honey, no. We were shooting after I thought... Wait a minute. This honey business. Oh, well, you know. No, I don't know. Well, Sally and me, we've been going around together. Oh, I see. And what about it? You pick nice company, Mrs. Gilroy. The kind that leaves by the window. Sure, with the joint loaded with cops, I should stick around. <laughs> Come on. <clears throat> Back to the house before we freeze. Okay, I got nothing to hide. I was just waiting for you to get finished with the power. Come along, Jerry. I'm beginning to shiver. Just a minute, then. What are you staring at? Look. There, on the side of the building. Where? The rain spot. Jerry, so that's why we couldn't find the knife. Listen, Lieutenant, I don't care if you lock me up or what you do. I didn't have nothing to do with it. was with me all the time. You're upstairs. Quiet, both of you. Bill, I'd like to see you. Uh, Just a second, Jerry. I want... What's the matter? You haven't found another body, have you? No, not yet, Bill. But we may. Why, what's up, Bill? When Pam and I were outside just now, we saw... Wait, Jerry. Wasn't Mr. Gilroy's gun on the desk there? Huh? Well, it's gone now. Hmm. Now, just a minute. Jerry, when I went out after Red Barton, did Mrs. Gilroy leave this room when I did? No, no. She followed us. No. Do you think she picked up the gun then? Careful. I need to take Red into the next room and turn him over to Mullins. You follow us. I want Mrs. Gilroy to be here alone. Oh, what do you think she'll do? Let's see. Jerry, Bill's setting a trap. Well, don't spring it. Mrs. Gilroy, you wait here. All right, Detective. All right, Red. You can come with me. Sure, Lieutenant. Sure. Come along, Pam. Excuse us, please, Mrs. Gilroy. Indefinitely, dearie. Oh. That, that Mrs. Gilroy... You'd think I came here to borrow a cup of sugar. <laughs> Come on, Pam. Bill's gone in the living room. I wonder what that woman's going to do now that we... Jerry. What is it? Look. Across the hall, behind that screen. Well, I can't see anything behind the screen. It's in the mirror, What? It's not. She's got her hat and coat off. We'd better stop her, Jerry. Playing hide-and-seek, Mother? Oh, my. Well, no, don't tell me one, please. I, I 
I've got to get out of this house. You can't leave now. If you run away, Martha, they'll suspect you. I can't stay. Uncle Gordon's dead and, and Crosby and, and I'm going to be next. Martha. Believe me, you don't know what's going on in this house. I, I'm going to be next. I, I haven't a chance. Martha, don't. Come into the parlor. You're shaking like a leaf. Now, there's a nice big couch. You stretch out there. Poor darling. Now, Mother, who's frightening you? Don't, Joy. She's the one who killed Uncle Gordon. How do you know? He, he wouldn't give her a divorce. She wanted to marry Red Bart. But she wouldn't kill him. You don't know her, son. She'd do anything to get what she wants. Wait a minute, Martha. Is she the woman you had in mind when you wrote your book? Yes. She tricked Uncle Gordon into marrying her. She sent his money like water. Why wouldn't your uncle divorce her? Oh, uncle Gordon was no saint either. She, she had too much on him. If she were no longer his legal wife, she'd blackmail him out of every last cent. Well, he couldn't let her go for, for his own protection. I'm going to get Bill Wagon. He should hear this. I'll be right back. Oh, Pam, I'm so frightened. I, Dolly knows I suspect her. She's going to try to put me out of the way. Yeah, hold on, oh, my. Pam, I... Now, lie down. <laughs> try to be calm. Pam, <laughs> would you get me some aspirin and water? I've got to have some. Of course, you know. oh, I'll be back in a jiffy. Now, you just close your eyes. Jerry will be here with Bill and the <laughs> Oh, she's... Not steady, Pam. All right. Show me clean. Oh, thank you. Look, Bill. The sofa, right over her head. Hmm. Full of all. That was a close call. What a... You're all right, dear. She... She almost killed me. She? From, from the French doors. I... I saw the gun and, and I ducked. Are you positive it was Dolly? Did you see her? Oh, only her hand. Holding the gun. I... I've got to get out of here. She'll kill me. Oh, no, she won't. I'll take care of her right now. Bill, wait a minute. Don't go. What is it, Pam? There's something I want to ask Martha. What? In that book you wrote, Martha, wasn't the character who did all the killing patterned after Dolly Gilroy? Yes. And one of her victims was a political boss, an unscrupulous man who controlled millions and, and killed others for money. Yes. Was that man your uncle? No, no, no. Just an imaginary person. That's not the truth, Martha. That man was your uncle. No. Pam, I see what you mean. You're right. Of course, Jerry. That's why Gordon Gilroy didn't want the book published. What are you talking about? Every crime Gordon Gilroy ever committed was described in that novel. Detail by detail. It was taken from real life. Martha. You wrote that book to blackmail your own uncle. Why, Pam. Oh, why, Pam, me. You're not as sweet as you look, Martha Gilroy. What are you driving at? You didn't expect your uncle back tonight, did you? And you didn't know that he was on your blackmailing scheme until you saw him fighting with Jerry through the French doors in the library. You're crazy. Oh, no, I'm not. When your uncle was shot and Jerry and I left the room to get help, you saw a good chance to kill him. But you needed a weapon, a gun or a knife. What are you... So you grabbed the closest thing at hand, a heavy icicle hanging from the rain spout on the side of the house. How did you... You're crazy. You stabbed your uncle with an icicle. 
No wonder we couldn't find a knife. She broke another one off to kill Norman Crosby. He saw her go into the library with the ice dagger. She killed him. All right. You're so smart. Figure this out. Oh, just don't move any of you. Oh, you took the gun, Miss Gilroy. A very clever observation, Lieutenant. Martha, you can't possibly get away. Give me that gun. (laughs) Don't make matters worse. You probably had a good reason for killing your uncle. The court will take things into consideration. Yes, you... I had a good reason to kill him. He murdered my father. That's how he got all his money. He drove dead to suicide and stole every cent. Gordon Gilroy, the great philanthropist. Put down that gun. I'm not through with it yet, Lieutenant. There's one more death on the books of the Gilroy family. Martha, stand back. I don't want to have to kill you. Gary, somebody didn't do something. I'm the only one who could do anything, and, and here goes. So long, everybody. Down. We got Pam. Oh, 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 don't give me that gun. Oh. Nice work, Jerry. You pulled that rug from under her just in time. Jerry, how did you ever think of it? Mullins, take care of Miss Gilroy. Okay, Luke. <laughs> All right, Miss, come along with me. You take the prize. How did you know Martha was, was the one? Well, I, I knew she was lying, so I, I just put two and two together. Sure enough, she was the one. How did you know she was lying? And what about? I'll try to make sense here. Well, it was right after somebody shot at Martha in this room. I was the first one in here, remember? Yes. Well, Martha said the shot came from the French doors. But when I ran in, I smelled burnt powder and saw smoke hanging in the center of the room. She stood right here in the middle of the room and fired that gun herself. Nice going, Pam. Poor Martha. Oh, but... Jerry. Now you can't publish that book. Yep. There goes a bestseller right out the window. Ladies, a mink coat costs a lot, but the luxurious-looking, luscious complexion that goes with it can be yours for so little. Use Woodbury Cold Cream. You just can't give your skin better care at any price. A test by more than a thousand women proved that. They use Woodbury in some of the costliest creams, all in plain, unlabeled jars. And a majority preferred Woodbury cold cream. For beauty results, they found it outstanding. Now, don't be surprised. Remember, Woodbury cold cream is made by skin scientists, experts in skin care for more than 60 years. It contains four special softening and smoothing ingredients, plus an element that works to keep the cream in the jar pure to the last. The world's costliest creams don't bring you that. You can try wonderful Woodbury cold cream for a mere 10 cents or buy the big economy jar. You get over 10 times as much for just 75 cents. If after using Woodbury only seven days, your skin isn't softer and smoother, lovelier, then return the jar to Woodbury at Cincinnati, Ohio, and you'll get twice what you pay. That's W-O-O-D-B-U-R-Y. You'll save by switching from your expensive cream to Woodbury. Buy war stamps with that saving. Why not get Woodbury cold cream right now? Tune in again next Tuesday evening at the same time for another adventure of Mr. and Mrs. North when a barefooted corpse manages to put his shoes on. For thrills and for laughs, be sure to listen, won't you? This is Ben Grower saying goodnight for Woodbury cold cream. The beauty cream for the skin you love to touch.
Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen and a show that first aired in 1945. truly Bill Goodwin, and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. For deep down laughs and listening enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for deep down coffee drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House, with extra flavor in the blend because of choice Latin American coffee, skillfully combined. Extra flavor in the cup because Radiant Roast develops the full flavor of every coffee bean. And the result is that today... More people buy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. Well, as we join the people who live in the Burns House, George is just coming home from the office. And he has a little package under his arm. Hello, sweetheart. Hello, dear. Oh, what's that under your arm? A package. I know. Is it something in uh-huh. Present? Uh-huh. Or someone? Uh-huh. Anyone I know? Uh-huh. Someone I know real well? Uh-huh. <laughs> this is murder. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you. It's a little present for you. For me? Oh, George! You're the most darling husband I never know when you're going to walk in with a present for me. Uh-huh. What did you get me this time? Candy like in 1937 or flowers like in 1941? <laughs> now, it isn't candy and it isn't flowers. Well, it really doesn't matter what it is. What counts is that you thought of me when you bought it. Well, I didn't exactly buy it, Jason. I won it. You won it? Yeah. Down at the cigar store, they were selling chances on a punch board for the war chest. Oh, darling, and you won the bucket. <laughs> no, no, no. The money went to the watches. First prize on the punch board was a pearl comb and brush set. Just what I need for my dressing table. Second prize was a diamond clip. It's wonderful for my new dress. Third prize is a bottle of joy perfume. Oh, perfect for my personality. Which one did you win? I won the 17th prize, an ashtray. <laughs> Perfect for the ashes. You're, uh, you're disappointed. Oh, no, of course not, darling. It's not the size of the gift that matters to a woman. It's how she feels about the giver. Really? Well, certainly. If you offered me an ashtray and Charles Boyer offered me a mink coat, do you think I'd like you? No. I'd take your ashtray, too. Thanks, kid. You see, dear, when a woman is happily married, she doesn't care about big, expensive gifts. I married you, George, and I'm happy with nothing. (laughs) Why don't you unwrap the ashtray? All right. Oh, George, it's stunning. Oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's so sturdy. It looks like it, it'll hold ashes easily. <laughs> well, I can just imagine what you'd pay for that if you bought it at a store. It only cost a dime on the punch board. Well, don't worry. That extra nickel went to a good cause. 
guess it is a pretty small gift. Oh, but I love a gift. Through the years, an accumulation of little things means more to a wife than any big gift. Even rich men's wives feel that way. They do? Well, of course. You think Bing Crosby's wife is reminded of Bing because of, of a diamond bracelet he gave her? No. It's her accumulation of little things. <laughs> See what you mean. Uh, where shall we put this thing? Oh, right here on the coffee table where I'll see it every day. Well, how's that? Fine. Oh, no, no. The ashtray clashes with that color wood. Clashes? Yes. We'll have to get a new table. <laughs> oh, Priscilla, get rid of the ashtray. Throw oh, it out. Throw no, it out. no, darling. That's your gift to me. Only it cost ten cents. Throw it out. Throw it out. that you spent the ten cents on me when you might have spent it on yourself. You, you could have bought a soda with that dime or a dozen of those cigars you smoke. Well, I'm not buying a thirty-five dollar coffee table to set on a to set off a ten cent ashtray. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Well, throw it out, throw it out, get it. Darling, that coffee table has always been an eyesore. Everything in this room is beautiful except that. Stands out like a saw thumb. I don't think so. Well, look, now we'll leave it to whoever's at the door. Come in. Well, hiya, Burnses. What's new? Bill, look around this room. You notice any one thing that strike the sour note. One thing that should be gotten rid of. But sure, but how are you going to do it? He owns the place. <laughs> what a comedian. Uh, tell me, Bill, do you hire writers to write funny stuff for you? Well, yes, you ought to try it sometime, George. <laughs> I will. Bill, I was referring to furniture. Don't you notice one particular piece that looks bad? Well, now that you mention it, Gracie, there is one piece of furniture that's always spoiled the looks of this room. I mean, you see, I know. I know. It's that easy chair. The easy chair? Well, sure, it's old and faded. It sags at the bottom. The stuffing's all in the wrong place. That's what I get rid of. But, Bill, that chair is just like one of the family. Yeah, there is a resemblance. Well, I get rid of both. <laughs> well, I'm glad Bill dropped in. I didn't realize that the coffee table and the chair were both I Don't pay any attention to what Bill said. You know his face. Believe me, you put a sweater on the chair and he'll love it. <laughs> oh, no, George. Now that I've studied the room, everything looks beautiful except the table and the chair. They'll both have to go. Oh, I had to bring home that silly ashtray. However, here's a chance to get another opinion. Come in. Good morning, all. Say, uh, George, could you uh, lend me a couple of dollars to see... Oh, I'd excuse like... me, Meredith, but before you go into that, I'd like to ask your opinion about something. Now, look around this room. Do you see anything unattractive that offends the eye? Well, uh, sure, but I'm in a spot. I was hoping to borrow some money from him. <laughs> Not a straight man in the neighborhood. No, I meant a piece of furniture, Meredith. Look again. Oh. Well, now that you mention it, Gracie, there is one piece of furniture that's always spoiled the looks of this room. Yeah, which one? The divan. Uh, the divan? Yeah. 
See how that middle cushion has got a sort of a bomb crater in it? Oh, but that's George's favorite place to rest. In fact, that's what caused the crater. <laughs> George lying on his little round tummy. Well, it's very comfortable, and we're keeping it, and it just fits. Oh, but darling, we could make a, a new one fit, too. For the first week, we'll put a cannonball on the cushion. Lacey, you were very happy with all this furniture until I brought home that lousy ashtray. I'm going to throw it out. Oh, please, George. That ashtray is a present from the man I love, the man I respect and admire, the man I worship and adore. And I'll thank you to keep your big fat hands off. <laughs> Gee, I, I didn't mean to start a family argument. I'd better go. Wait a minute. Did you want to borrow two dollars? Well, yes, I did. I'm uh, showing a certain someone the to town tonight, and I, I thought I'd shoot the work. You know, uh, <laughs> flowers, dinner, a show, a couple of nightclubs. For that you want two dollars? Well, I wouldn't like to come home broke. <laughs> Here, take three and well, I'm it. glad to see you getting over your fear of women, Meredith. Now, when you take her home, kiss her goodnight. Oh, you bet I will. I always kiss my mom goodnight. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Well, I better get dressed and head for the furniture store. Now, let's see. New coffee table, new easy chair, new divan. Gracie, wait a minute. Get rid of the ashtray. Believe me, the furniture looks fine. Well, look, now, it won't hurt to get one more opinion. Come in. Good morning, Mrs. Burns. <laughs> good morning, Mr. Burns. Oh, good morning, Mr. Postman. Tell me, are you observing? Oh, yes. I have that rare combination. The keen eyes of a hawk in the body of a bull. <laughs> Now, I, um, I wish you'd look around carefully and see if you notice anything that spoils the beauty of this room. Yes, I do. But I'm sure he has many lovable qualities. <laughs> oh, no, no. I meant, is there a piece of furniture in the room that strikes a jarring note? Oh. Well, now that you mention it, Mrs. Burns, there is one piece of furniture that causes a twinge in my bosom, if you'll pardon the expression. <laughs> well, which one is it? That floor lamp. Oh, my goodness, another one. Here I thought we had the house beautiful, and all the time we had the dump horrible. <laughs> well, of course, I may feel that way, because my wife and I have a floor lamp exactly like that. You know how it is when you've been too close to a thing. Yeah, I know, and I guess you have been close to it. Oh, yes, three times now my wife has wrapped it around my neck. <laughs> <laughs> well, goodbye, remember... Keep smiling. <laughs> well, I've certainly had my eyes open this morning. This living room must be completely done over. Oh, Gracie, until I brought home that ashtray, you thought the room was perfect. Oh, room is like a person, George. You may think a person is perfect, but some little thing always spoils it. Right. Take me, for instance. I'm practically perfect, except for... I guess we better take you. Yeah, let you take me. <laughs> Meredith Wilson and In the Still of the Night.
about redecorating her living room. Yes, are you good, Raoul? I matriculated at the Paris Academy. No one understands color harmony like Raoul. Color harmony? Yes. Every personality is different. For example, Mr. Goodwin here would never go with violence. <laughs> Mr. Goodwin here would go with anybody. <laughs> I uh, am speaking of colors, madame. Ah. Well, I'll sit down here and wait for you, Gracie. There is your color, Mr. Goodwin. That cartoon sofa does something for you. Right? Oh, there's definite harmony. You must make all your decisions on a cartoon sofa. Well, when I'm on a sofa, I'm not the one who makes the decisions. <laughs> Madame, like this coffee table. I have arranged the flowers on it myself. Oh, it's mine. It's sunny. It's sunny. It's cheap. It's dank. <laughs> what? You don't know how to decorate a coffee table. I do, too. You do not. I do. You don't. Oh, you make me so mad. <laughs> well, you make me so mad. One more word and I'll blow on your gardenia. <laughs> Gracie, this guy is a phony. Phony? One more word and I shall deal harshly with you. 
You're a phony. That did it. Mr. Goodwin, will you step outside? Gladly. Well, that got rid of him. Oh, Raoul, excuse me a moment. I'd better speak to Bill. Oh, Bill, why did you get so angry at poor Raoul? Well, flowers on a coffee table. Isn't that silly? Oh, oh, I see. You mean he should have... Well, of course. Maxwell House Coffee. Yeah. That's when a coffee table is beautiful. When it's holding a few cups of appetizing, rich, full-bodied, mellow Maxwell House coffee. Fooey on Raoul. I know more about coffee than he knows about decorating. But he matriculated at the Paris Academy. Well, I percolated at the Brown Derby. <laughs> And I happen to know that more people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. Maxwell House is coffee at its full-flavored best. Always good to the last drop. Any child knows that. Yes, I do, Bill. <laughs> and our coffee table will never have anything but Maxwell House on it. Now, come on back with me. No, Gracie, I'll sit in the car and wait for you. You'll be lonesome. No, I won't. I'll, I'll find some girl to sit with me and listen to Superman. But you have no radio in your car. <laughs> Well, Gracie, there's more than one Superman. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for the delay, Raoul. Oh, that's all right, but that man did upset me. Oh, that's because you're artistic. I understand, because I'm artistic, too. Oh, so there's a bond between us. Do you paint? Oh, hardly at all. Just a little touch of lipstick. <laughs> no, no, I mean, do you create beauty in the form of portraits or landscapes? Oh, that, yes, yes, I dabble a bit. I went to the study that my father says is the image of my mother. How does? On the other hand, my mother says it's the image of my father. <laughs> How delightful. I actually meant it to be a bowl of fruit. <laughs> Now that I recognize you as a kindred spirit, I will give my all to your living room. I will fill it with nuances, overtones, vibrations. Uh -huh. well, a little furniture would be nice, too. <laughs> yes, there will be furniture, madame. Each piece will express you. The walls will be you. The floors will be you. Oh, now, you. wait a minute, Raoul. That sounds wonderful, but you're ignoring my husband completely. He's a very important person in that house. Oh? Uh, let the doorknobs be him. <laughs> As you wish. Now, return to your home and dispose of everything in that room. You mean sell all our furniture? Exactly. Sell it to the Acme Furniture Company. I deal with them myself. Well, I, um, I don't think my husband will like this. Oh, he will when he sees what I create. I shall make your living room even more enchanting than I made Lauren Bacall's. Oh, did you do her place? Oh, but yes. It was I who made Lauren Bacall's home the envy of every woman in Hollywood. Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> <laughs> Madame is whimsical. I shall see you this afternoon. Well, Miss Acme, how much for this living room furniture? I'll give you $20 for the whole work. Oh, no, I'm not that stupid. I'll sell you each thing separately. Okay, call them off. Three tables. Fifty cents a piece. <laughs> you don't know much about furniture. One of those tables is far better than the other two. Okay, fifty cents for the good one and a quarter each for the other two. <laughs> well, now you're talking. <laughs> Three small chairs. Fifty cents a piece. Well, Stephanie can be fifty cents, can't you think, in terms of a dollar? 
Okay, make it a dollar for the three chairs. That's fair. One easy chair. Fifty cents. Fifty cents? My darling husband sat in that chair. Think of the sentimental value it has for me. Fifty-five cents. So. <laughs> you thought you were going to get the whole work for twenty dollars. <laughs> One rug. Fifty cents. One divan. Fifty cents. One lamp. Fifty, 50 cents. cents. <laughs> Add it up. Uh, Come say eight dollars and fifty-five cents. Oh. I've got another proposition for you. What? I'll sell you the whole work for twenty dollars. <laughs> Nothing doing, lady. It was your idea. I'll back my truck up and haul the stuff away. I've got the funniest feeling that I handled that wrong. Hello, dear. I... Where's our furniture? I sold it. Sold it? Sold our furniture? Oh, not all of it, dear. Just part of it. Part of it? Yeah, we still have the ashtray. <laughs> You've done some silly things, but this is the worst. I'll be darned if I'm going to oh, stand Oh, George, it. please, please. You mustn't get so excited. Remember your appendix. I had my appendix out five years ago. Yeah, I now remember it. <laughs> Don't try to stall me. This time you're going too far. Oh, please, I will not darling. Stand. You burst all your blood vessels. Uh, see, there goes one now. <laughs> That's the doorbell. Oh. A lamp. Probably a man to take away our room. Oh, no. Not a red necktie. No, no. Heavens, no. <laughs> no, huh? No, you have green eyes. I'll have them dyed red. <laughs> I'll get out. Oh, wait, George, wait. Please. Get out. This is Raoul of Hollywood, the famous decorator. He's going to redo our living room with modern plastic and steel furniture. Yes, the seats of the chairs will be crisscrossed aluminum pipes. <laughs> What am I, a man or a waffle? <laughs> I want overstuffed furniture. Overstuffed furniture? My dear man, have you no joie de vivre, no esprit de beauté? Have you no je ne sais quoi? Answer him, George. Haven't you got any? <laughs> Look on the floor. Maybe I dropped it. <laughs> Look, O'Toole. Raoul. Raoul. <laughs> Raoul, O'Toole, or Schmuel. No overstuffed furniture. No money. No money. Not a dime. Overstuffed furniture is coming back, I understand. I had a feeling it might. <laughs> How much money will you need? Uh, shall we say 500? Shall we say 300? Oh, don't stop that, George. I got murdered that way. <laughs> I'll split the difference. I'll give you a check for $400. Blame Now, you and Madame have dinner, go to a movie, and when you return, Raoul will have created the living room magnifique. Now, remember, I want comfortable stuff. Stuff that looks like it's been lived in. Here's your check for $400. Ah, bonjour. Banjo, he says. <laughs> Takes $400 of my hard-earned money and gives me a big banjo. Come on, Gracie, let's go to a movie. Well, the interior decorator of yours had plenty of time to fix up the place. Oh, I'll bet the living room is beautiful. Let's go in and see. Turn on the light. Why, 
God, it is beautiful. Yeah. Gee, the new furniture looks swell. Oh, now you see, you thought you married just an ordinary woman. That I never thought. <laughs> but you shouldn't have sold the old furniture, dear. It wasn't paid for oh, yet. Oh, say, that's right. You still owe me $400. Yeah, well, forget it. Well, dear, the room looks fine. Are you happy now? Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't change a thing in it, except maybe for one tiny little thing. What's that? The coffee table's got to go. It clashes with the ashes. Well, here we go again. <laughs> and now here's Gracie with a very important message. Uh, ladies, uh, would you like to have nylons by Christmas Day? <laughs> Pretty silly question, isn't it? Well, we can actually see the return of nylons in many other peacetime products by saving these fats. You see, fats and oils are urgently needed in the manufacture of nearly all consumer goods, such as nylon, soap, refrigerators, automobiles, paints, and varnishes. So save every drop of used fat you can and take it to your meat dealer. You'll get four points and four cents for every pound turned in. And you'll be hastening the return of the things you want and need. Good night. Join us again next week when we'll all be back. George Burns, Gracie Allen, Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Goodwin. Until next Thursday, then, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House. America's number one brand of coffee, always good to the last drop. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Duffy's Tavern, followed by a new episode of Nightbeat. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.